Welcome to the Coop Tank. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, coming to you from Sweet Recording in beautiful Mount Laurel, New Jersey. You know, people, if you have a video cast, a podcast, uh, a book on tape, if you want some uh, external shooting, hell, if you need a studio built, Sweet Recording is the place for you. Joe Ganjami is not only a great guy, but he knows his stuff and he's honest. So reach out to them. Go to Sweet Recording, S-U-I-T-E, recording.com. Or email them at hello at sweetrecording.com. Anyway, we have a, we have a great show today. Uh, my guest has really built a company up. And, and if you're a Phillies fan, you've, you've seen it. You've seen his company on the outfield. And uh, the company is Life Brand. His name is TJ Kalisi. And how you doing, TJ? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me today. Uh, now, you know what? Let's get started and tell the people what Life Brand is. LifeBrand is on a mission to be the world leader in social media education, detection, and prevention. Social media is such an incredible tool that's connected the world, allows people to share and create and monetize. Um, but you see in the news all the time, people making mistakes on social media that gets them fired or they lose a scholarship or it's bad PR for their business. Our job, our goal is to help educate people on what a powerful tool it can be help everybody build a strong personal brand for themselves. You know, thanks to social media now, everybody can have a strong brand, can highlight their character. That, you know, if you're a young kid, highlight your, your athletics, academics, family, community. Everyone looks at social media. You know, when it comes to, if you're going to apply to colleges, colleges look at your social media. If you're applying for a job, employers look at it. But too many people aren't utilizing it to build an actual brand for themselves. Uh, but they also need to maybe go back and check some things. You know, I jokingly tell people I'm 42 years old. I can't imagine if social media existed when I was 18, 19, or 20, what I would have been posting. Well, kids have had it at that age that are now in influential positions and jobs. And let's face it, kids say and do things that maybe an experienced 30-year-old wouldn't. So it's our we're here to help people protect, clean up, and build a strong brand for themselves. It is so important. My, my, my background is entertainment. And I know a lot of people who have going through a lot of bad crap because the stuff they put up that, you know, when, when I did stand up comedy back 20 years ago, well, like you said, there was no social media. It was a different climate. And now, yeah. like, even when I look on like my Facebook and they have the memories, you go back and you go, I'm not one of those people that, you know, and you, you clean up people's uh, mishaps, but there's some people that really love to get like suspended or being in Facebook jail. Like it's some medal of honor. Me, I've always, <laughs> I've always been good, but it's so important for what you do. And uh, so, so I got to ask you, your, your background is in fitness and, and you worked for crunch and you worked for LA fitness. What, what is your, what were you like when you were a kid, you said you're 42, there was no social media. No one would think you built, you built pretty much an empire right now. You're on your way to building a huge, huge company, but what, what were your dreams? when you were a kid because you're an example of someone's root who just went completely veered off much for the better you know it's funny like as a kid i think i was always an entrepreneur i was that kid that was buying baseball cards and flip them for a couple cents here or there i was always the kid that had the lemonade stand on the quarter corner trying to make a couple bucks um but you know as a kid i, I didn't know what i wanted to do as an adult i actually remember in middle school a teacher asking what you wanted to be when you grew up and I said I wanted to be the Philly fanatic. And she sent me out of class. She thought I was being a smart ass, but I, was, I really wanted to be the Philly fanatic. I thought it was a cool job. Um, and to be working with the Phillies now is kind of funny, but I was always an entrepreneur at heart. Um, I worked in the fitness industry for years. I accidentally fell into it when I was 20 years old. You know, I, I actually applied to be a janitor. I, I knew I didn't want to go to college. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was out running one day, saw a new gym opened, applied. 
um, and just kind of worked my way up. I was naturally good at talking with people and at sales and um, ended up, you know, finding myself to be the district vice president of sales and marketing at a really young age. Loved working in that industry, but I always, when I worked there, said, boy, if I had something I could sell over the internet and not be limited to just a three-mile radius around a gym, I could knock it out of the park. I just never knew what that thing was. And then, you know, about five and a half years ago when I was at Crunch Fitness, we were having a lot of problems with social media. Uh, we had a lot of employees that were, you know, first you know, time out of college with a job that, you know, they're connecting with other employees, connecting with members and people were seeing things they were posting. It was causing problems. We also ran into a problem where one of our hiring managers used it during the background check process, kind of looked at someone's social media. The person didn't get the job because they were the wrong person for the job, but that person had just announced that she was pregnant. She ended up suing saying she didn't get the job because she was pregnant and she was discriminated against. So I saw that there was a huge problem. I spent weeks looking for a solution. You know, this is back before AI became as popular as it is right now. But I, boy, there's got to be a way to utilize AI to uh, build this. And when one didn't exist, I, you know, told the idea to somebody that I kind of gave them the idea to build the company themselves. And they were like, no, that's it's a billion dollar idea you have right there. And um, they connected me with somebody that knew technology. We partnered with an incredible firm in Prague, Oaks Lab, that we worked with for over three years that built our initial minimal viable product. They be, ended up becoming some early investors for their venture fund. And uh, I mean, here we are. We still have a really long way to go. We're just scratching the surface of what we can do. But we really think we're building technology that can really help educate young kids. You know, think about it. I mean, if you're in high school or college and have social media, chances are your parents didn't have social media when they were your age. So how are they going to have a responsible conversation with you about it? Um, but then we can help professionals clean up their brand but help companies educate their employees on social media. It's a really uncomfortable thing for employers to talk to employees about their personal social media. Um, employees are like, hey, I, I have freedom of speech to say whatever I want. You can't tell me what to do. Yes and no. The Supreme Court has said that employers have the right to fire you if you post something that damaged their company's brand. Um, but also freedom of speech doesn't mean freedom from repercussions. We tell people all the time, look, if your brand is to be raunchy and curse, and be nasty, cool, do it. There's nothing wrong with that if you think that's what's best for you. But for most people, you have to be careful what you say because you do work for others or you are trying to sell to others and you just have to be cognizant of what goes out there. And we're helping people do that. You know, I completely agree with you. I'm I'm totally into saying what you want to say. Yeah. But, but if it's really bad, you're going to feel the repercussions and then don't bitch about it because you know, like I've seen, you know, said comedians i know say something i'm like what are you thinking like you know that's going to get you in hot water and i'm sorry like some people want to be a rebel i want to be liked you know i don't, don't want to be like to be that that jerk who says bad stuff unless as you said unless you're like dennis leary or that brand or hearts like that but you're so right and people really don't think about it i mean where do you think that comes from that people don't they're not they're clueless sometimes they'll post something and you'll go I, I was a drunk college kid. I know, but I would never, if I, I would never post some of this stuff. Where do you think that comes from? Cause you deal with it all the time. I, I think it's a combination of two things. I think the idea of people having their own brand is still so new. I don't think people still fully realize the impact social media can have positive or negative in their life. I think the other thing came from, you know, younger people grew up with this technology at their fingertips. They're so used to sharing their life that the good or the bad, they don't think anything of it until it's too late. 
So, you know, it's our, it, our goal is to help people realize that, you know, I always tell people, I, I use an example. I, I have a four-year-old daughter. One of our employees here has a four-year-old daughter. They're friends. We live in the same town. They're going to go to the same school together. As they grow up, even if my daughter does nothing bad on social media, she just posts the same type of stuff every other kid posts, hanging out with their friends, eating food, hanging out at the beach, nothing bad. But the other daughter builds a brand for herself, posts high character things about how she's involved in athletics, academics, family, community, passions of hers, hobbies of hers. Well, if our two kids are the last two kids that get that scholarship to Penn, I can promise you schools are looking at their social media. Their daughter's going to get it. Over 90% of companies look at social media during the hiring process. So again, now if our two daughters are going up for the same job, their daughter's going to get it. Even though my daughter doesn't look bad, theirs looks better. And this is the new resume. This is the new, I tell people all the time, you know, you used to go in for an interview and put on your nicest suit or your nicest dress and look good to make a good first impression. Your first impression was when they looked at your social media. They looked at your social media before they ever even offered you an interview. In fact, according to a career builder study, 48% of hiring managers have declined the opportunity for someone to even come in for an interview after looking at their social media. That means almost 50% of people out there that are like, hey, I wonder why no one's calling me in for an interview. It's probably because they looked at your social media and you don't look like the kind of person they want to hire. And fair or not, it's the reality we live in. So give yourself an advantage and go build a brand for yourself. Build an online digital resume for yourself. Now I want to talk about you building the brand because when you left your job, um, well, you have a four-year-old and and LifeBrand has been under open be five years soon. Yeah. yeah so you, so you, you have a child, but what was it like when you left? I mean, what it, what it takes balls for people to just leave. You were with the company for a long time. You know, you were in that fitness position for a long time and you rose up the level. So you knew you were good at it. You knew you could excel, but then that probably put in your head that I can excel more at this. But what was it like when you decided to walk away? Was there just, was it just something that first time you just said, I have to do this? Or were you on the bridge a few times? Like, oh, no, I'm going to do it. I'm I, not going to do it. You know, it's crazy. And I've told this story before and, Maybe this is a good example. Maybe it's a bad one for people out there, but it, it was April 24th, 2018. It was a Monday morning and I left Greenwich, Connecticut, where I was working at the time. We, we were living in Delaware County, PA. I you know, essentially quit my job to go start this. And look, I had a very good executive job with good pay. We had a three-year-old daughter at the time. My wife was three months pregnant with our now four-year-old. My wife doesn't work. And I quit my job without even telling her or talking to her about it. <laughs> I drove home that morning. My wife is a very fiery Italian woman that um, I was terrified of telling, but I knew I had to just do it because I knew I could be good at it. And I didn't want someone to talk me out of it because common sense would say, and my wife would have been within her rights to say, no, don't do that. We have a kid. We have another kid on the way. You're an idiot. You're not doing that. Well, I don't want to hear that. I quit. So she couldn't tell me not to. And I'll never forget. I went home and told her and she kind of paused for a minute and I'm expecting her to just freak out. And her answer was, well, if any son of a bitch can do it, it's you. Let's go. And that was her. You know, like she believed in me. And I think that was really important because you almost have to be crazy to do something like that. And to try to start from scratch and, and see if it was really, look, it's still really hard now. I don't, I mean, we still have a long way to go, but 
the first couple of years were brutal. I mean, my wife and I went all in, you know, we maxed out every credit card we had. We would have lost our house if it weren't for her parents or my parents helping us. We had the cable turned off at home. We had the water turned off. I mean, it was, you know, we went all in selling personal belongings, pawning stuff to make a couple bucks here to pay this bill to Google to keep our website live or pay our one employee at the time. And uh, it was a really, really hard journey. It still is a hard journey, um, but it was worth it. You know, I, I kind of, and you made a comment earlier that I was good at what I did. It's hard to leave that. And that was one of the hardest things because there's a lot of times where like every sign to point you should give up. And I actually had one of my earliest mentors. His name's Kerry Gilligan. He's affiliated with Oaks Lab. He's one of the first like tech advisors we had. And he said, the only way you'll make it is when every sign in the world points to giving up, when your bank account points to giving up, where everything points to giving up, just keep going. You cannot quit because it's going to feel like you should quit. Nothing worth building was ever easy. You can't lean into that temptation to go back to that job. Because I knew I was good at that. I knew at any time, whether it was going back to Crunch or another health club chain, somebody was going to hire me for probably a fairly decent executive job. So one of the hardest parts was not giving up. But um, I think one of the best parts at the beginning, you know, they when companies raise money, you know, you go through these different things where you do like a friends and family round, then a seed round and a series A. And like, we didn't set out to raise money from friends or family, but we had a handful of people to begin with. Like, hey, I, this is awesome. I believe in it. I'll put some money in. It was probably the best thing that ever happened because it would be easier to quit and give up on my own dream and my own money that would have been lost. I could have never looked them in the face and told them I lost their money. So during those really, really hard times at the beginning, that was something that definitely kept me going. Where did you start from? That's what blows me mind because it, it's it's a technology, as you said, that's not known. So it's like it would be like years ago saying, "Hey, uh, here's I sold fax machines when I got out of college." No one knew <laughs> what a fax machine was, and then that then everyone sold them. But it's a technology. I mean, how were you getting people interested? Was it not your friends and family because they believe in you? They know what you can do. They've seen you succeed at other positions, but with outside people, I mean, where do you, what would you do to get them interested? Did you have a protocol? Did you have a example or what would you do? You know, the beginning when you're doing any type of tech product is to have an MVP, a minimal viable product. It's essentially a prototype or just the minimal viable version that can prove you can do what you say you're going to do. It doesn't have to be pretty. doesn't have to be great experience, but just it proves, okay, technology can be built that can do this. You can get the permissions from the different social media companies that you need. Um, so, you know, that's when we employed that company, Oaks Lab, to build that initial MVP for us. You know, me not being a technology person, but just naturally being creative, having ideas. I was able to work with our, you know, our, um, you know, graphic artists at the time that did all the art for the initial wireframes and for the website, Veronica. And I, to this day, I mean, she's not with us anymore, but she did such a great job of taking an idea out of my head and putting it into wireframes that then engineers could say, okay, this is what he's envisioning. This is the flow of how it'll all work. This is how we can now build the code and the product to support it. Um, so once we had something starting to get built, I was able to start talking to some early seed investors and angel investors in the area and throughout the country. And they all said the same thing. They're like, this sounds incredible. Once you can prove you can do it, we're in. I'm like, well, I need money to prove I can do it. It was right. like one of those catch, you know, so we really tried stretching out the little bit of money we had from friends and family as long as we could. We stretched out as much money as I could put into it. And then, um, you know, I'm a big believer that you don't get anywhere without other people and you need everybody else to help support you getting there. And at one point, you know, we were out of money with Oaks Lab. Oaks Lab 
they still needed $180,000 to finish building our product and essentially release it to us. And I had exhausted every possible option. They had been very patient in working with us, even though we were falling behind on our bills. And then all of a sudden they said, look, we believe in you. And we believe that if we finish building this for you, you will get initial clients. You will get the investors you need to take this thing to the next level. We'll float you the last $180,000. Without them doing that, we might not be sitting here today. But I think that goes back to if you always do the right thing and treat people the right way and work your ass off. If I didn't do all those things, they probably wouldn't have floated me 180 grand. They would have cut their losses and walked away. Well, after they agreed to do that, two weeks later, we had applied to pitch our company in a pitch competition through Start Engine to Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank. We ended up being one of five finalists out of 1,500 chosen to pitch him. We then won that pitch competition that had Oaks Lab not agreed to finish our product, I wouldn't have been able to demonstrate to him. I never would have been able to win that competition. Me and him then wouldn't have appeared on Yahoo Finance, which got people to see our product. It's, it's just crazy how, you know, you really need a lot of other good people to get to a certain point. And look, Oaks Lab then, you know, we raised our seed round. We paid them back in full right away. But it just goes to show that align yourself with good people. I knew right away when I met the folks at Oaks Lab, Andy Powell, who's kind of their head of business there, and Theo and Jake, who are brothers that are the co-founders of the company. I knew they were good people. And uh, I mean, we probably wouldn't be here today without them and a lot of other people that helped along the way. But that's just one story of it takes a lot. But then once that initial product was built, it was time to then go raise real money and really start building. There's one thing to have a minimal viable product that kind of works and you know you can get a couple of trial clients. There's a big difference between that and a billion dollar SaaS platform that can be used at scale with hundreds of thousands of users that big companies can launch. And, um, you know, we were fortunate to then be able to do a series A after that, get to that point. And now, you know, this year is a very big year for us where we're really at an inflection point of growth. You know, we have sold more new contracts in the first four months of this year than we did all of last year combined. We have some really big deals that are getting ready to go live in the next couple of days. One of them is with Stack Sports, a huge ecosystem um, that has over 7 million high school and college age kids here in the U.S., that are on their platform. That's all about helping them with sports and education and getting that scholarship. Um, we're about to we, we're about to roll out a huge deal with the American Federation of Teachers to help protect them. Um, it's really exciting where we're going with a lot of these big deals. I mean, we just signed the U.S. Olympic bobsled team. Some random um, deals. We're really working with a lot of colleges locally here. We work with St. Joseph's University and Rowan University. Um, we have some really big D1 schools that are going to be rolling out our program this fall. So. Um, it's exciting to see what we can do this year. This will be a really big year to prove that, you know, we can kind of stand on our own two feet, generate our own revenue, cover our own burn. We'll still raise more money to allow us to go through a large growth period, but um, it's, it's a big year for us that we're excited for. I want to take you back to when you were pitching to Kevin O'Leary. How much pressure was on you? Because this is, this is the big time, man. If you do, if you do great, <laughs> you, you, you know, what's going to uh, happen, but if you, it was there, in, I mean, what was it like for you? It was an unbelievable amount of pressure. And to kind of like paint the scene, you know, at the time we were just working out of like a shared workspace at Lifetime Athletic in Ardmore. And we were moving into a office in Westchester. Well, the week that I had a pitch to Kevin, we were in between offices. So I'm like, where am I going to do this? Because it was all, it was still during COVID. So it was virtual. <laughs> where can I set up all this high tech 
camera equipment, lighting, microphones. I couldn't do it at my house. I had two little kids at home, a dog that we were barking. So, you know, fortunately, a good friend of mine, uh, their company owns a couple of hotels, set us up with a really nice suite um, at a courtyard, uh, Marriott Courtyard in Springfield, where we were able to set up production in the hotel. But I mean, it was it was nerve wracking. I mean, to because I knew that that could definitely change the trajectory of our company, which it did. Um, watching Shark Tank, I'm terrified that he was going to rip us apart and just destroy us. Um, I can tell you he's a much, not that I've dealt with him much, but in my few interactions with him, he's a much nicer person uh, in real life than maybe he comes off on the show. Very supportive. But, um, you know, when we pitched, you know, he grilled me afterwards with numbers and I messed up a couple of them because I was you know, <laughs> so stressed, but it got the majority of it out. And, uh, you know, afterwards when he announced us as the winner, and, you know, not only that he believed in our product, but in me as an entrepreneur and, you know, I was able to demonstrate it and had all the answers. Yeah. I mean, it was an incredible, I mean, I mean, I remember I cried uncontrollably afterwards when I got off air. Cause it was such like a, you know, at that point we we're almost two years in of trying to prove that this is viable. And unfortunately at the beginning, when you're starting something, most people think you're not, most people are like, yeah, okay, dude, but yeah, good luck. You're going to start some billion dollar company. Um, you know, if you're some gym guy, what do you know about technology? I mean, it's, it's not easy. And unfortunately, I think most people root for you to fail at the beginning because they didn't have the balls to do it themselves. So that was a really big like moment of validation that, hey, though we still have a long way to go, like I'm not nuts. We have something here. Uh, you know, Kevin O'Leary was nice enough to then appear on Yahoo Finance with us where, I mean, he's quoted as saying that I just love this deal. I thought it was ingenious. Every company should use this. I mean, it just, it was definitely game changing for us because it was shortly after that, that we raised a very significant series a round and brought in some really big names you know on our investor side that have certainly helped us get to where we are so yeah it, it was one of few defining moments probably in the history of our company now your name life brand which is great because you're and you remember it that's the thing you can you know when bryce harper was sitting home runs last year i go because i know john Pittman. i go to my way well that's that guy john's you know works for life brand and it's one of those brands that's so important because there's names you know, growing up in this area, you remember Frank Soda, just because you knew the song, you knew the commercial. It was just a basic name. Life brand, when you hear it, you don't get intimidated because when you think social media or anything tech, a lot of people get intimidated. Where did you come up with a name? Because it's a perfect name because you are developing a brand of life. Yeah, it, it came with, at the beginning, like one of our initial taglines way back when was, it's my life, it's my brand. Um, and that's what's kind of, yeah, it's your life. It's your life brand. And that's kind of what brought the name together. And then our, our our logo, which is, you know, this kind of like digital fingerprint. We didn't used to have our logo, which is like an L and a B and a, I don't know, in a circle or something or in a B. And um, again, our, our original head of design, Veronica was like, no, you need something with more of a tech feel, but that also shows what you are. So like she developed this digital fingerprint that we just fell in love with and you know, she came up with the color scheme of the purple, which is our main color that sticks out. I mean, you, you notice that purple billboard at Citizens Bank Park. You notice the purple when the Wells Fargo Center lights up for a Sixers game. And um, it, it certainly helped from a branding standpoint. And that's been a big thing for us over the last couple of years is branding ourselves. You know, we're asking people to trust us with their social media and with their deepest, darkest secrets. You know, you're logging into your social media accounts to make our tech work. People need to know you and trust you. And you got to spend a lot of money to build a brand. Look, there's a lot of stuff you can do organically. But I think even people that aren't familiar with advertising spend 
know that it's probably not cheap to have a massive billboard inside Citizens Bank Park. It's probably not cheap to own the main gate to Lincoln Financial Field. But fast forward two years, anywhere I go and I'm wearing a Life Brand shirt, somebody will stop me and be like, oh my God, I see you guys everywhere. I saw you on the Phillies game, or I saw you here, I saw you here. But then they always say, but what are you? What do you do? And that's fine. That's part of building a company and branding. The last year or two is all about building that brand and the awareness. And now it's telling the story of what we do. So now, whether it's through our own company's marketing efforts, whether it's through some of our ambassadors, whether it's through some of our high-profile investors. I mean, Jimmy Rollins will be at our office tomorrow filming content to promote LifeBrand for us. You know, we just did some great stuff with John Dorenbos. You know, we work with Devontae Smith from the Eagles, Austin Eckler with the Chargers. We have some really cool stuff that'll be happening in Atlanta this year. So it's all about now telling that story. But again, there has to be some trust factor, but a little bit of a cool factor too. You know, if your company comes to you and says, hey, I provided you with this great employee benefit to build a brand for yourself, they need to know what that brand is and trust it. They need to know that they're working with LifeBrand, not their boss or not their HR company. There needs to be some cool factor to it or sex appeal. And working with these big sports teams and athletes, it brings credibility. It brings the coolness to kids. Like we work with a lot of high school and college kids that, let's face it, if you got a high school or college kid out there, you know they don't want to listen to mom and dad. They don't want to listen to their teacher, but they will listen to that athlete that they look up to. They will say, oh, crap, man, get out the Phillies. I love the Phillies. I must like these guys too. It's it's a big thing. And it's um to build a company like we're building takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of advertising spend, which can be tough to digest sometimes. Um, but you have to know that you're building a brand and it's for a long-term awareness and trust. You might not always get a direct ROI on something you do, but you know, like when the Phillies were in the World Series, we had clients calling us that we had talked to a year ago that were seeing that billboard and like, oh my God, I forgot about you guys, but we actually had a really big problem since we last talked. It's it's time to get more serious about doing a deal now. And it's um, so it's been really cool doing all the branding and marketing side of stuff. Look, it's great that it's great hospitality too for us to be able to send some of our clients or people that we're trying to sign to a deal you know, to sit behind home plate at a game or to go in the Eagles tunnel for an Eagles game. That hospitality is great for us to host lunch and learns and meetings at these venues where people can come in and learn about our product. But I mean, who wouldn't want to go to the link on a Tuesday afternoon and get a, you know, go onto the field and see the Lombardi trophy and hang out in a club there. So it's, it's been a really big part of our strategy that um, I think we'll see ended up being really Really a smart move in the future when we see the type of brand we're building. Because in Philadelphia, it's, it's hard to not know what life brand is. And we're now replicating that in other cities across the country. How did you start the relationship with the teams? Because I'm sure everybody wants to have a relationship with, because, you know, Phillies fans, Eagles fans, I mean, believe me, I lived in L.A. for years. And I would find Eagles bars everywhere. And you walk, you'd see, you'd be at a bar and you see someone that had, oh, you're a Phillies fan. And you just, oh, where are you from? And it has that. It's a bonding thing. How did you guys get in the door? Because it is, as I said, it's huge. I know you have the money to spend, but they're not just going to take any schlub. They're not going to sit there and go, oh, yeah, yeah, anyone can come in here. Yeah, no, I mean, they definitely want somebody. I mean, look, I think typically, and not to speak for these sports teams, but just as I've gotten to know them and, um, you know, got to be more familiar with some of like their salespeople, the different organizations, they used to really just want those huge Fortune 100 companies. You know, they wanted the big soft drink brands, the big beer brands, the big banks, insurance companies. But they found over the last couple of years that tech is such a huge emerging product um, and industry 
And there's a lot of customer facing or B2B facing companies like us that could use that same advertising as those other guys that they've started looking at a lot of companies like us. And look, it's riskier for them. I mean, a tech company can at any time go under. So, I mean, they're definitely taking a little bit more of a risk on a tech company versus a hundred year old beer brand. Uh, but it also gives them a chance to provide something that's, look, I, I think every sports team could agree that players in front office should be protecting their social media. I think it helped that we have a tool that could help them. Um, but for us, aside from the branding or the, um, you know, awareness that we got by being in these affiliated with these teams, every other huge partner that I just talked about, these big Fortune 100 companies, all could and should be using LifeBrand. I have a product that any other logo you see in these ballparks could and should be using us. So part of our strategy was also it got us in the room with those guys. It gets us in suites at games with the decision makers from those companies. You know, the, the Phillies take all their big corporate partners on a big trip to spring training every year where you really get to learn and meet and get to know the other big partners and develop relationships that lead to sales opportunities. You know, the Eagles took all of us to the Super Bowl. So to be sitting there with the folks from Lincoln Financial and First Trust Bank and all the other big partners, those relationships for us as a young company that they're probably not going to answer my sales guy's cold call. But when they meet us and learn about us, like, oh yeah, we could use that. Um, so there was a lot of strategy behind doing it. And then once you start with a couple of teams, it's like every team wants your money. All of a sudden it's like, hey, look, we, we only have so much we can spend and we have to be strategic. And look, we've learned ones that work and don't work. Some of the partnerships we've done, we've ended. You know, they just, they, they didn't work as well as others. They didn't have, they weren't in the right geographic area or maybe we didn't have the right assets. But the ones that have worked, we've doubled down on and now we're replicating those in other markets. Now, as an entrepreneur, someone who built your built a company, you said you still have a long way to go. How what have you, how have your responsibilities changed? Because it's like right now you're not the guy sitting there going to people saying I need this money because you've gotten the money. As you know, as a founder, a big company, what is your how is your day like compared to what it was, let's say a few years ago after you got the deal from O'Leary and all that stuff happened? I mean, it, look, unfortunately, yeah, the part where you say like we're done raising money that never ends because you you keep spending it, so you have to keep getting more, um, but. What has changed most was in the early days when, you know, I was waiting on an outsourced company, Oaks Lab, to build our product. There was a lot of like waiting where I could strategize and plan how we're going to build things, what marketing campaigns will look like. And we also only had one or two employees at the time. Well, now when you sit here and now everything's in-house. So all of our product technology, our engineers are here in this building. Our marketing teams are here in this building. Our customer success teams are here, sales there's so many other departments that need, though we have good, competent people that can run them that I still need to be a part of and give my vision to. Um, it, it's tough because there's a lot of moving parts. And then there might be one department that disagrees with another department's way in which something should be done. But you know, you're still trying to raise the money. You're still trying to be one of the hardest things for me is like I want to be the guy to take the shot. If, if we have a chance to sell some massive company. Like, I want the ball in my hand. Like, I want to be Jordan at the end of the game, taking the shot, selling that company. It's hard for me to let go sometimes, even though we have phenomenal salespeople here that can do it. But my day is, it's constantly worried about not only what's happening now, but what's going to happen three years from now. You know, I, I heard Jeff Bezos say once, a good CEO is not focused on what's happening today. Your people should be focused on today. You got to be thinking three years out. 
So three years out, does that mean another big growth round of raising money for us? Does that mean exiting and selling? You know, where are we trying to be revenue-wise? But also balancing, you know, when, when you're in technology, the value of our product is us training our artificial intelligence and the data that we're acquiring, then you can do other things with that data. So that's more valuable to us than even revenue coming in from a signed deal, which is hard to balance because you have investors that obviously want to see you selling and making money. And at some point you want to be able to cover your own burn and have a path to profitability. So you don't have to keep raising money, but maybe giving the product away to certain organizations for free is actually worth more money in the long run because it's making our AI more valuable and it's making our data more valuable. So those are really tough things to do. And as you grow and, you know, now we have a board of directors, we have, you know, a few dozen investors. Well, no one's ever, you're never going to put, you know, 30 or 40 people in a room and they're all going to agree on the same exact thing. I could go to every single one of our investors and say, hey, we have a deal for $4 billion to sell the company. I will not get a unanimous yes from everyone because someone will say, well, if it's worth four today, it could be worth eight tomorrow. I mean, just, so one of the hardest things for me is to know and trust my vision, but also trust the people around me, but then balance that. Know when, hey, maybe that person's advice was good for this, but maybe in this instance, it's not. And it, it's really hard to tell people that maybe have given you money for your company. I appreciate that idea, but we're not going to do it. So, I mean, that's been really hard is knowing the long-term goal and not everyone knows what the long-term goal is. You know, not everyone that invests in a tech company is familiar with tech companies and the real value could be the AI, our patents, whatever it may be. Um, so it, it, it's been hard balancing that stuff, but also it, it's, it's my first time through this. So, you know, I, I've never gone and raised a $27 million series A. I've never done this before. So at the same time, you have to surround yourself with the right people. And I, I can confidently say if, if you sat you know, our entire C-suite in this room and our board of directors and our advisory board, I'm probably one of the most inexperienced and uneducated pe person in that room. And that's not a shot at my own intelligence, my own ability. If anything, I think it's proof that I am pretty smart that I surrounded myself with other smart people, other people that will know when the right time is to maybe sell, when the right time is to focus more on revenue or more on data or more on AI use. Um, we have really, really smart people around us. And that's you know, it's how you build a team. Like our, our co-founder, Gemma, has been with us since day one. She started working for us for free when we had no way that we could pay her because she believed in what we're doing. You know, for the most part, we've had very, very little turnover here. In five years, I can count on one hand how many people we have lost, whether we had to tell them it wasn't working or whether, you know, they just chose to do something else. And I think that's a testament to everybody in here that they believe in what they're doing. We have a good team that believes in you know, ultimately where we're going to end up here. You know, again, we still have a long way to go, but I think most people believe in the process that'll get us there. On a personal level, what was your feeling when you saw the Phillies billboard, when you actually saw that? I mean, you know, you're, you know, you're going to, you're getting it, but what was it for you? I mean, I grew up a big sports fan. You probably did too. And when you saw yeah. the Eagles, what is it like when you looked and you said, oh my God, that's mine. That's, that's, I, I built that. You know what? I've had a lot of people ask me that because whether it's like that brand there and yeah, I'm a diehard Philadelphia sports fan, but just a sports fan in general. I mean, for example, last year, you know, the New England Patriots were a client of ours and partner of ours, and they allowed me to actually go on stage during the NFL draft and be who hands Roger Goodell the jersey for their, their first round draft pick. 
I mean, to be on stage at an NFL draft was one of the most unbelievable experiences of my life. And none of it has hit me yet. None of it. I haven't even comprehended the fact that like my company or vision is on a billboard at Citizens Bank Park because I'm always thinking about what's next. But then every time I see something like that for every, you know, 80 people, that's like, that's awesome. There's always gonna be 20 people that are like, eh, was that the right move? Should you have done this? Could you have done something else? So I'm just always thinking, but I mean, one of the cooler moments was certainly seeing that the first time, you know, they took us down there and we were standing on the warning track, looking up at it. And I mean, first of all, just to be sitting on the warning track of the field was cool. And to see it was a really surreal feeling. And when they unveiled our gate at the link, and Devontae Smith was there with us and Mike Quick, who Mike Quick, you know, has been a great advisor to our company. Um, to be standing there, you know, this Eagles legend and this new up-and-coming superstar under a gate that had our company's name on it with, you know, all these executives from the Eagles was uh, was pretty surreal and pretty cool. But what's better is that it's working, is that it's building a brand. I mean, every single time there's an event there. I mean, Taylor Swift was there this weekend and my phone blew up. Everybody walking under our gate, like, oh my God, there's your gate. They're taking pictures or posting it on social media. Um, it's cool to now see, like I said, at the beginning, a lot of people, I think, think you're nuts when you do something, but it's really cool to see how many people have supported us and are now excited about what we're doing and other local people from Philadelphia and Delaware County that are seeing our company grow and get on more of a, you know, bigger local and national scale that support it and always want to share it. I, I know that guy. I know that company. Uh, it's kind of cool. How important is it do you think networking at this point? Because you know, you probably don't really get out and network as much because you're always busy. But I mean, it's so important. And that's like, and I met John and John was was a very good. I met Lou at an event and you guys were out there. And that's always important when people are out there. But how important do you do you think that networking is to building a company, whether it's you going out or whether you're sales ambassadors or what? I mean, how important do you think it is? It's one of the most absolute important things you can do um, because all those people you meet are going to be how you get there. Maybe you end up meeting someone that works for you. Maybe you end up meeting somebody that becomes, I become a client to them. You know, I meet somebody that I need their services or vice versa, or somebody that can guide us. You know, I mean, one of our earlier institutional investors was Juno Capital here in Philadelphia, and we were super excited for them to invest. I mean, you know, at the time it was, you know, the first like actual name, not just like an individual angel that invested, but also with them being in the executive search space, it kind of validated a need for our product. But, you know, through some of their founders, you know, Michael is the main one from there that we work with. She has brought us to some amazing networking opportunities, has made some incredible introductions that she has built over the years through being an influential person here in Philadelphia that are now leading to great partnerships for us sales for us had led to other investment for us um, is a great sounding board. You know, somebody that's been there and built a company before and can help me go through some of the, you know, th you know, isn't going to be scared to tell me, Hey, TJ, great. But you know, that, that was bad, you know, or like, do this different. Like it's really great to have those people. And the more people you meet networking, the more become part of that inner circle. And we have so many people that we've met over the past five years that are now a really influential part of what we're doing. And that, that needs to keep happening. You know, we need to keep selling our product. And I think, you know, we have a product that people get it, but it, it helps to have some explanation as to why it's so important because it's still a really new thing. It's still a new concept to, as an individual, invest in your personal brand for a company to invest in the personal brands of your people. But I think over the next five years, it's going to be one of the biggest things out there. 
Um, so as I, we continue to network and get out ahead of that, it, it's going to be super important for us. One, I have a quick question I just thought of. Um, what is the most problematic social media? Like, you know, John Moran just went away with Instagram with the gun. And then now I know I saw you guys are doing TikTok now, which TikTok is, it's all over the board. But what is what has been in your eyes, in the company's things, what has been the most problematic form of social media? Is it Twitter? Because people just pop it out real quick or what have you noticed? Yeah, I, I think historically, if you look back at people that have gotten themselves in trouble on social media, but also from what I can see here from people using our platform, I think Twitter has the most outrageous things that have gotten people in trouble because it was so easy to hit retweet, especially 10 years ago when it first came out, you'd see something that's maybe funny or controversial and you're like, ha, retweet. You don't realize that that's now like tied to you that, and let's face it, I think you, you, I mean, you said it as a comedian, you probably could say things 20 years ago on stage that you cannot say today. I use the example of the time, like even some TV shows, two and a half men would probably not be able to air today. The jokes that they made. I forget what cast member it was from friends that recently did an interview saying friends would not have succeeded today because they wouldn't have been able to say and do the jokes or talk about sex as much as they did or whatever it was that they are now. So Twitter is definitely one, but look, our average user deletes over 19 posts. And I say that because everyone listening to that, think about that. The average user, and we work with everything from high school kids to white collar executives from publicly traded companies. It is a mix, athletes, this, that, you name it. The average person deletes 19 posts. And look, I don't think that means the average person has 19 horribly offensive posts. It just means they have things that, eh, do I really need that on there? Was that appropriate or, uh, you know, was I, you know, I always use the example, you know, we have a female executive here that like when our technology started scanning for photo and video, it flagged a picture of, you know, her in a bikini a couple of years ago and she had a drink in her hand. So it flagged it for alcohol content and partial nudity. There was nothing wrong with the picture. It was not inappropriate. She wasn't sitting there visibly drunk. I mean, literally posing with her friends at the beach, but she deleted it because she said, look, if, like I, I take my job seriously as an executive. I want people to judge me by my body of work, not my physical body. So I'm going to delete that photo because I know people will be looking at my social media. Like that's a great example of something like that. Another example is, you know, people from pro sports teams that we work with are, hey, F that team. Look, that's probably not going to get them fired, but a, a league doesn't want one C-suite executive saying F another team in their league on their social media. Just most of the 19 posts people delete maybe wouldn't get you canceled or get you fired, but maybe it would have been an uncomfortable conversation with your boss if they saw it or an uncomfortable, uncomfortable conversation with your spouse if they saw it. But um, I do think TikTok will be one of the biggest things. We just went live with TikTok a few weeks ago, so I don't even have the data as to what that has done in terms of the average amount of things deleted. But um, I, I think kids have done a lot of things on TikTok that they're, especially during COVID, they probably are gonna regret doing and having out there. And uh, I think TikTok will be problematic. But I think as we grow, I tell people all the time, social media could look different five years from now. Maybe none of the major platforms exist five years from now. Maybe it's new players. Maybe if Mark Zuckerberg has his way, it's metaverse-based since he made that big gamble and it all being metaverse-based. But the idea of people creating, sharing, and networking online is here to stay. And like I said, over the next five years, it will without question be one of the biggest industries out there is the idea of individuals capitalizing on their personal brand. Think about it. Every major company in the world spends a huge amount of money and resources on building a brand and a reputation for themselves. So why wouldn't individuals? 
because we all do have our own brand now, thanks to the internet. And you can use it to your advantage or it could work against you. One final question. Sure. Someone says, why do I want to use life brand? What do you tell them? Because it, it makes sense, especially, you know, in the entertainment business, it makes a lot of sense. I know, I know both very hardcore right wing and hardcore left wing actors and comedians who are very popular. I've become friends with my other podcasts and I see some of the stuff they post and I go, you know what? You might not get a writing job if someone's, yeah. well, now you won't, you've seen that, but what would you say to someone if they said, TJ, why should me and my company use life brand? I would say because you have nothing to lose, but potentially everything. If you're not going to use us, you could get canceled. One bad tweet from an employee could completely ruin your brand and your company's reputation. You could end up in a lawsuit. You could lose hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars from a PR instance. And the best thing I'll compare it to is homeowner's insurance or fire insurance. If you wait until your house catches fire to call and try to get an insurance policy, it's too late. You are screwed. Nothing bad can happen from you checking your social media. And if there's nothing there that's offensive or bad, good. At least you know. But just like you have that protection of that insurance, let us protect you. Let us make sure there's nothing lurking in that closet. Maybe there's something you didn't realize you posted. Maybe you had too many drinks on a Friday night and you didn't know you posted that nine years ago. Nothing bad can happen from trying LifeBrand, but really bad things could happen if you don't. So what do you have to lose besides potentially your job and your livelihood? Well, there you go. How can people get in touch with you? Life, what, it's lifebrand.brand. Is that the website? Lifebrand.life is our website. Okay. So anybody can go to lifebrand.life. And the really cool thing is anybody can go there and get a free social media check. We will let you connect your social media accounts for free. And we will scan them back to inception. And we'll tell you for free how many potentially problematic posts you could have. We'll show you a couple for free. Anybody that wants to connect with me personally on Instagram and Twitter, it's at Tommy J. Cola. Um, happy, you know, give us a follow, follow lifebrand.life on Instagram. Um, happy to connect with anybody. And if there's anybody out there that has, you know, some significant questions about our product or how they can utilize LifeBrand, you can always email info at lifebrand.life and we'll get right back to you. So people, uh, check them out. Seriously, if you're out there, and especially if you're getting jobs, it's very important. You know, I'm an old curmudgeon, so mine doesn't count anymore. But if you're <laughs> out there, so people also uh, go to the cooptank.podbean.com. You can find my past episodes. Also on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Amazon Music. Also, coopertalk.net, my entertainment podcast, over 955 episodes with Emmy winners, Oscar winners, Rock and Roll Hall of Famers, and also every Friday and Saturday at 8.30 on RBN Television, Cooper Talk Local, where I talk to some of the best established comedians and musicians in the area. I want to thank Joe Ganjemi for producing the show. Check out Sweet Recording, S-U-I-T-E Recording.com. And I'm Steve Cooper. I'll talk to you next time.